Well, how we doing? We doing all right? Yeah? Good. Well, welcome everybody for a second time. Uh, we're in the midst of a series called Family Matters. And last week we had Pastor Jeff kick off this series. And so for all of you in the room that he offended because he said he had the greatest family in the world, I'm here to tell you I don't have the greatest family in the world. Okay? I want you to hear that. It's just better than Jeff's. So whatever. Sorry. Not Jeff, sorry, Kristen, wherever you're sitting in the room. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about my family, though. We got a couple photos. The first one uh, is of me and my wife on our wedding day. It was uh, 11 years ago. She hasn't changed, period. She hasn't changed. Um, but, uh, but we got married 11 years ago in, uh, uh, at Selma First Baptist Church, just down the 43 from here. Um, and so uh, that was a, uh, a great day. And since then, we have added to our flock a little bit, which is the rest of the boys, um, the rest of the family. That was us. I told you guys that we had, uh, we had gone on a trip. We went to Zion and we went to uh, the Grand Canyon, we went to Bryce Canyon, that sort of thing. This is, we're hiking in, uh, in, in Zion National Park. It's called the Narrows and you essentially hike up a stream with cliffs that are about a thousand feet high on either side. And so, uh, that's, that's Noah on my back who on the picture, you can't really tell that flesh colored circle is my youngest son, uh, Noah. And then Colin is bottom left-hand corner doing what he does best, which is hamming it up for the camera. Um, and so that's Colin all the way over on the right-hand side in the swing batter, batter, batter shirt. That's Owen. He's our, uh, he's our six-year, almost six-year-old. He'll be six this week. Uh, Micah in the bright yellow. That's our, uh, our almost eight-year-old. He'll be eight you know, a week from today. And then, uh, Cooper, our oldest, uh, who is, uh, who is nine years old, right in the middle, who, uh, is measuring himself against his mom's height already, like the oldest kid normally does. And so, so that's our, uh, that's our family. Um, and, uh, I'll tell you what, raising kids and raising a family is, I mean, they should put a warning label on that. It's hard. <laughs> uh, we, uh, my wife and I moved in this week to our, uh, to our house finally. And we were not, I know I'll take that one round of one clap right there. Didn't have to be everybody, but, uh, we moved in this week and, and my mom and, uh, and my stepdad were kind enough to take the older four boys camping. And so this week, <laughs> Like we like slept in a couple times and we were just like, so my wife yesterday was like, you know, our house is going to have like five kids in it again tomorrow. Right. I was like, yeah, I know it's going to be, it's going to be a rude awakening. I mean, even unpacking our house was simple compared to having all of our kids uh, in the home. Uh, but, uh, but as you probably saw in the photo, Sarah and I were relatively young when we got married, we were both 22 at the time. Um, and so we, we were figuring out what marriage looked like as kind of, we went along, we still hadn't even matured individually at the time that, uh, that we got married. Um, but the reality was, is, is if I didn't, if I didn't lock Sarah up quickly, she was going to realize the mistake that she was making in marrying me. So I was like, I don't care if I'm 22 or not, like we're, we are getting married, you and me. And, uh, I don't want you to realize what you're doing wrong. Uh, but because, 
because we were, we were young, we needed to learn a ton about marriage and what would work and, and what wouldn't work. And thankfully, we're completely and totally committed to each other. We were both raised in families where the word divorce wasn't even talked about. It wasn't even joked about. So that word doesn't even enter into either of our vocabularies as we're having a conversation. And that's an odd thing in this day and age. To, uh, to not even have that option on the table, but it wasn't. And, and, and we weren't perfect. We're not, per- <laughs> I said we weren't, we are now. We're not perfect. <laughs> yeah, we're not perfect. We fight just like any other couple. We have our differences, obviously. Um, but just like many people in this church, we want to do our best to fight well. We want to do our best to argue well and reconcile well so that the two of us together can greater glorify God as a couple than just as individuals. And so today, uh, we're going to try to tackle this issue of marriage. And I say issue of marriage because it is a tightrope that we are trying to walk here in the midst of marriage. And I know that, it's, that, that marriage isn't easy for everybody. As a matter of fact, it's probably not easy for anybody. That there is a constant give and take that we have to have. That even though my wife and I are completely and totally committed to one another, that it's not always easy in the midst of marriage. I mean, I know there are people here who are at the end of their rope in the midst of their marriage. And because of that, may have even come this morning just to see if there could be something of use in, in the entirety of this morning's message. Then maybe in the midst of your marriage, you could figure out something here that may give you a little bit of hope because you find yourself at your wit's end. Maybe some of you wives out there feel like your husband is neglectful and unloving. Like they're not putting in the time that your relationship needs in order to feel loved. There's probably husbands in the room who feel like they are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders and their wives don't respect them for the work that they do. That there's a lack of respect there. Today we get to talk about it. And we're, and we're all going to agree right now, this is one of those messages. There's some messages where it's okay for you to elbow the person sitting next to you. Okay, Today isn't one of those messages. Okay. This is a deeply seated uh, heart issue that we have to get to the bottom to bottom of. And so if you're sitting next to your spouse today and they, they are glaringly short in one of these areas, do me a favor, don't elbow them. Have a real conversation later on over lunch at Panera where apparently half of you eat because I went there after service one time and I saw half of you there. Um, <laughs> we don't go to Panera anymore now. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but we all have our stuff to work on, right? And so this is one of those messages that we, we need to take seriously. So, so as we turn to Ephesians 5.21, that's where we're going to camp today. I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. And a lot of you were talking about this idea of mutual submission, even as you saw it on the top of your program today. Um, you probably guessed that's the direction where we're going because that's the main passage that we're looking at. But in order to gain some context for Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 and following, what we need to do is go all the way back to the book of Genesis, specifically uh, the creation of the family. And your first fill in the blank is going to be that the family is an institution that is designed by God. The family is an institution designed by God. 
Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, we see the first entire family take root. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. And so we see here what many of us would consider to be a a normal looking family. There's a mom and a dad and kids. And I know, and I know even as we're looking at a family series, there's a whole lot of people in this room whose family don't look like that. And I want you to know that that's okay. I want you to know that if, if you have gotten divorced and you've gotten remarried and, and some kids are hers biologically and some kids are his biologically or, or you've, you have done one of the greatest acts of service we could ask you to do and, and adopted people into your home because biologically speaking, maybe you, you and your spouse couldn't conceive or maybe you had a whole flock of kids on your own and then decided that wasn't enough because there are people, there are kids who are not currently being loved and you brought them into the fold as well. Or maybe you lost a spouse at some point. And as you lost a spouse, you then, uh, you know, a few years later, whatever the time frame may be, found somebody else to love and be your partner. That's okay. And so when we're talking about family, I don't want you to get so niched into this idea that a family looks like a biological mom, a biological dad who were married, and then after they were married, they had kids. I do want you to know that that was God's original design, though. And then sin ends up creeping into the world, but we're going to get there in just a sec. I want you to know that families are close to God's heart. As a matter of fact, family uh, were his, was his idea in the first place. From the beginning, when God created man, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So even as he created him, he recognized that man shouldn't be alone. He needed a helper. So he created a woman as a helper, suitable for him. Then he blessed them and told them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Can I just say as a side note that this is my favorite, one of my favorite things in all of scripture is after he created man and woman, his first commandment, students close your ears, was go have sex. You never thought of it that way, but now you're going, you can't unsee it, okay? But he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Even after they fell into sin, God continued with his plan for families. He even spoke about the salvation that would come through the seed of the woman. Later, after the flood, he reiterated his plan to Noah and his sons. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. God continued his plan when he chose Abraham and miraculously gave him a son in his old age. I'm feeling old at 33 with a one and a half year old. I can't even imagine what Abraham was going through with 2 a.m. diaper changes, right? But throughout time, God's plan and desire has always been for parents to raise up their kids, to know and love him and walk in his ways. Deuteronomy 6.6, God tells the Israelites to keep his commandments in their heart and to teach them diligently unto their children talking of them throughout the day in every circumstance of life. God loves families. His original design was for families. And then sin enters the world. And this is your next blank, that sin distorted the functionality of the family. Sin distorted the functionality of the family. Adam and Eve sinned. Adam responded by blaming his wife. 
It's a terrible husband. Guys, if you hear nothing else today, like if you are responsible for the fall of mankind ever in your life, don't blame your wife for it, okay? Write that down somewhere. But they parented two male children. One of the sons killed the other. Abraham, God's chosen man, married two wives, breaking God's design. He eventually kicked one wife and her child out of the house. Jacob married several wives like his grandfather. His 12 sons eventually sold their younger brother, their younger brother into slavery. David married many wives and his son then raped his sister. Then the daughter's brother Absalom killed the son that raped her. Sin has distorted the functionality of the family. When we consider the biblical narrative, we see many family relationships that were broken by sin over and over and over again. What we're talking through today is no different. Sin still destroys family relationships. And therefore, we don't have great models of God's design. In fact, today, we we even see the effects of sin in the redefinition of marriage. In some cultures, men take many wives, and in others, homosexual marriage is acceptable. What is God's design for family? And how can we have the relationships God meant for us to have? Are the relationships I have with my family a proper reflection of my heavenly standing with Christ? Today we talk about this idea then of of headship and submission, and we're going to get to it in a sec. We talk about this idea of headship and submission. And what I want you to know as we enter into this thing is that headship and submission weren't instituted after the fall of man. They weren't instituted after sin entered the world. Headship and submission were God's original design for marriage. It's God's original design for it. It wasn't like, like God created Adam and Eve and then there was the fall. Then God was like, look. Look, we're going to have one gender take care of the other gender because the other gender is really messing up. That's not the case. This is God's original intention, and we're going to dig into a little bit how it should look in our lives. Because the reality is when, when sin entered the world, it ruined the harmony of marriage. Not because it brought headship and submission into existence, but because it twisted man's humble, loving headship into hostile domination, and in some men, lazy indifference. That's what it distorted it into. And it twisted a woman's intelligent, willing submission into manipulation in some women and brazen insubordination in others. Sin has distorted the institution of marriage. It has distorted family. Sin didn't create headship and submission. It ruined them. And it distorted them and made them ugly and made them destructive. Which is one of the reasons that we have such a hard time with the passage that we're looking at today from Ephesians chapter 5. Because of sin, we're uncomfortable with the roles that God created at the outset of humanity. It's not because of the roles. It's because of the sin. Adam protected his wife and she supported him. It is a a symbiotic, healthy relationship created and ordained by God that sin completely and totally distorted just like everything else. Which is why the basis of understanding for this passage in Ephesians 5 is an understanding of what Christ did for the church. 
In order for us to get to that understanding, we need to recognize, and this is your next fill in the blank, is that mutual submission only works in a Christian context. Mutual submission only works in a Christian context. Ephesians 5, 21 to 21 to, uh, to 24. We're going to go all the way through 33, but 21 to 24. This is how we're starting out. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This verse needs to frame our entire understanding of this morning, of, the, uh, of how, we, how we approach our marital relationship. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you hear nothing else today, underline that, highlight that, do whatever it is that you need to do to understand the basis, the entire basis for marriage to work is verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Following in 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. So as we come to this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is inviting us to live out the redemption and restoration in Christ. Where there is a new creation on display in a broken world. There's a new creation on display. This is possibly... Uh, only by the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. This new creation life starts to flow out of our relationship with Him. We should look differently because of the fact that we love Jesus. In 21, submit to one another of reverence for Christ. As we revere Christ, our lives should look different. It should naturally flow out of us. It should flow out of us. Our, our speech patterns should change. Our fundamental attitude changes towards one another. And the posture towards one another in Ephesians 5.21 is of submitting or preferring to one another. Preferring to one another. Oftentimes it's our, our own self-centeredness is the problem in the midst of marriage. I'm not getting my way. I want to do the things I want to do. I feel like I have the best plan. You don't believe me? Go buy something from Ikea and assemble it with your spouse. That's how you know that your own self-centeredness is still getting in the way. Because you know how to do it best. And unless you're fl speaking fluent, fluent Swedish... Like Ikea's instructions often are in, you're not going to be able to do it well. But it's our own self-centeredness tends to be the greatest problem in our marriage. This submitting to one another, this preferring one another is given practical expression specifically to wives and to their own husbands. This can only happen in the context of Christianity. I tell you, it can only happen in the context of Christianity because we have the greatest example of true selflessness laying down their life in submission to an equal in Jesus. So if we think about the Trinity, okay, I'm going to go up to 30,000 feet right now. You guys are like, I have no clue where he's going right now. That's okay. Bear with me. Okay, we'll get to practical application in a second. You all nod your head and you'll feel good, okay? So 30,000 feet, right? 
We're going way up here. Is that we agree one of the fundamental beliefs of the Protestant church, and specifically of our church even, is the idea of the Trinity. The Trinity are equal with one another. Father, Son, and Spirit are equal to one another. But Christ submitted willingly to the Father to come to earth in order that he would die, raise again, conquer death, raise again, and then reconcile us to his dad in the first place, to the Father in the first place. So we see the greatest act of selflessness in Christ, who was an equal and said, I'll go. I will submit to you. I'll go. So when we hear about this idea of submission, we're not talking about the fact that a wife is less than a husband, that a wife is not equal to a husband, but we have to look at it through the lens of Christianity. We have to look at it through the lens of Christ who willingly submitted himself to the father who he wasn't equal with in the first place. So because of that example, in Ephesians 5.22, Paul then writes specifically to wives. Paul writes that wives, literally, to your own husbands, you should submit. And this is where we have some problems. It's not to husbands. It's to your own husbands. To your own husbands. Because the specific challenge for our wives within marriage is is in that little expression, to your own husband. That's the challenge. The hardest thing may not be submitting in the abstract. Like you agree with that, like like conceptually you agree with that. Like, you know what? Yes. That was the origination, that, that was the original design instituted by God. Women submit to your husbands. I'm okay with that. Women, we should all submit to husbands. But then that, that little phrase, your own, creeps in. Like, Ooh, okay, that got real, real quick that I just submit to my own husband. Because the hardest thing might just be committing yourself to this guy with his flaws, committing yourself to this guy with his failures, to your own expression, to your own husband is the expression for Paul. The challenge we see is that of an exclusive bond. There's exclusivity to that, a promised loyalty, a promised faithfulness, not to all men in general, but to only your husband, your own husband. And the challenge for wives is to commit themselves, to entrust themselves to this guy, this man who Christ has commanded to care for them individually. Ladies, and and ladies, don't get mad at me, okay? This is scripture, and I'm going to come down even harder on the dudes in a second, okay? So just bear with me for a second, okay? But ladies, it means that you can't pursue getting your emotional needs met elsewhere. And I'm not leaning on emotions because you're female or anything like that. I just realized that sounded kind of bad. Not where I was going with it, okay? I didn't say, you're super emotional. I didn't say that, okay? It means that you can't pursue getting your emotional needs met elsewhere. It means you can't pursue getting what you need from your girlfriends at Starbucks on a Tuesday evening. Should you go do that? Yeah, totally. Go hang out with your girlfriends. But that isn't where your emotional needs should be met. It means that this guy with all of his failures, you've got to be committed 
to this guy. And like Jeff said last week, that word submit, it sounds like a terrifying word. It sounds like this big, oppressive word. But we remember, we can never lose sight of the fact that this is a call to imitate Christ. Because Christ did just this. He submitted to an equal. So when we think that, that this submission is about oppression, let's remember that Christ is an equal member of the Trinity, willingly submitted himself to the Father so he could be with him in eternity forever. So wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is invited to emulate Christ's behavior, his posture, his practice, and his affection as Savior, protector, benefactor. And as the church submits to Christ, wife submits to their husbands. So the new creation is on display. We have to see this in, in the framework through the lens of Christianity. It's important to notice Ephesians 5.24. Submission is not a duty that is coerced. But it is a gift that is offered. It's when a wife looks at her husband and says, I'm going to seek to be a strong helper right next to you. I will support your interests. I'm going to further the Christ likeness that God is working on in your life. I will defend your reputation. I'm going to seek your good. I will advance your cause. I will invite and receive your care. I will respond to your initiative so that together God's great purpose may be realized in the world through us together in a marriage union. It means building up, not tearing down. It means standing with, alongside, not against. Together, oneness, walking side by side is the imagery. When Sarah and I first got married, you guys all have these stories, right? We have first got married stories. When we first got married, I was, like I said, we were still trying to figure out this whole like headship, partner, submission, like where do we all fit type of thing. And as the man of the house, I decided, I decided that I was going to take care of all of our money. That was me. Now, for those of you who know me well, know that numbers and I just don't get along like real well, right? But I was a man. And so it was time for me to figure out the money side of things because I didn't want my dainty, helpless little wife to have to worry about such burdensome things, right? At least that was my machismo attitude in the midst of the whole thing. And so a year goes by and we're floundering. We can't figure out where's all our money going. I'm like, well, I paid the bills. And that was the only answer that I had the majority of the time. And then I realized that this isn't how this whole thing is supposed to work. I'm not making decisions, decisions apart from my wife. Am I leading? Yes. Am I taking initiative? Yes. Should I be leaving my wife out of the conversation? Absolutely not. Especially when her gift mix is way better than mine in the areas in which I'm trying to lead. Men, why would we leave our wives out of these conversations where they are clearly better than us? And a lot of you are like, I'm better than my wife in all areas. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so because of that... <laughs> Don't quote scripture to me on that. 
But honestly, our wives are oftentimes better at those things. They have strengths. They are our helper. They are our support. And so in the midst of us leading, we need to bring them alongside of us the way God had intended. And so that we can better glorify Christ together than we would be able to do apart. That's the goal. That's where we should be going with this. All right, guys, dudes, husbands, love your wives because you love Jesus. Husbands, love your wives because you love Jesus. I want you to notice something. So the two things that are going to go hand in hand here in the next couple of slides are love and respect. And if you just caught on to that, I just gave you your blank early. And so for you type A people, you're like, hmm, I got the answer. Good. Um, but we're going we're gonna to talk about this idea of love and respect. And we're going to talk about how scripture doesn't even say, husbands, respect your wife. And scripture also doesn't tell us that wives should love their husbands. It says the opposite. It says, husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands. Why? Because for the most part, that is how we get filled up as husbands and wives. Ladies, it comes super easy to you to be able to love somebody. It's built into your DNA. I know because my wife had five kids. And the minute that she, that, that she found out she was pregnant, she was caring for that tiny little itsy bitsy baby that I would have zero connection with for probably the next two years. Some of you are doing math in your head and you're like, two years? Yeah, because they don't move for like the first six months. You just set them down and they stay there. It's crazy how it works. But for the most part, it takes guys a little bit longer to, to love somebody, to love something. It's ladies, it's built into your DNA. And so when scripture says, that's why scripture doesn't say, say wives, love your husbands because it's normal for you. You love your husbands. And you're like, I love my husband. He's a dummy, but I love him. (laughs) Right. And you can say that you can say that. Because it's true. And then, in the, you know, on the, in the inverse, God, the way that guys feel love is by being respected. And so husbands normally have no issue with respecting their wife. What do guys have issue with? Loving their wives. Being tender with their, with their wives. Turning off the TV, sitting on the couch and looking at your wife while you're having a conversation. Probably the hardest thing for a guy to do in the entire world. But loving your wife. And those are the two, two differences that we're going to see come up right now. But Ephesians 25 uh, through 33, it says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we're members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Six times... In that paragraph, 
for husbands is the word love. Six times husbands are told to love their wives. Husbands, we need this word. We need the word love. The opposite is to be unloving. You can be unloving in an active way. You can be uncaring. You can be dismissive. You can be unloving in a passive way, which is neglect. It's lack of attention. We are challenged here, husbands, six times to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Again, just as wives are called to imitate Christ, so husbands are called to imitate him as well. To love their wives in the very manner that Christ loved the church. It's a sacrificial, saving death that makes us holy type of love. It's a love that does not leave us unchanged, but is powerful enough to change us. It's a love that makes us holy. It's a love that is expressed verbally. It's a love that gives of itself. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. As their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. We're to love our wives as our own self. Not to see our spouse as someone separate, but someone who is intimately connected to us. Paul challenges husband, challenges us as husbands in this passage to seek to be a servant leader. One that nourishes. One that cherishes. One that cares for the body. And to be a servant leader who pursues the interests of our own wives. Who furthers her Christ-likeness. Who defends her reputation. Who seeks her good. Who advances her cause. Who invites and receives her care. Who is attentive in response to her needs. So together God's great purposes are realized in the world together rather than separately. Being a servant leader is not a negative image. But it is definitely difficult. It's definitely difficult. I believe, men, that you would be hard-pressed to find a lady who would have a hard time submitting to a man in the same way that I just described. That if with every ounce of your being, you're pointing your family to Jesus, you are leading your family towards Jesus, that you are sacrificing of yourself for the sake and the name of Jesus, that you're leading your household in such a way that the people in in your own home have no choice but to recognize that you have spent time with Jesus and it's an important part of your life. My wife and I just talked yesterday, as a matter of fact, about just the importance of our boys seeing, seeing us do our quiet times. We do our quiet times, but the boys aren't always able to see them. Either it's too early or in the office or whatever it may be. They don't always see us do them. And that's one of the areas that I need to step up in my leadership of my own family is by simply allowing the boys to see how important God's word is in my life. Guys, you'd be hard-pressed to find a lady who would have a problem submitting to a man who behaved in that way. In my limited experience, submission isn't the issue. The person who is being submitted to is. And so, guys, get your stuff in order. Lead your family well. John Piper said it this way, headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, for protection and for provision in the home.
My guess is, is that this is, if this is true of the husbands in the room, then the following regarding the wives is probably true as well. That wives respect your husband because you love Jesus. Wives respect your husband because you love Jesus. Verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. Paul's talking about the fact that this is a metaphor there. Verse 33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Ladies, please understand how God has wired your husband. Almost every wife would appreciate their husband taking leadership, but you fail to understand oftentimes what fuels his leadership. Respect is like rocket fuel for your husband, specifically in, the, in a leadership capacity. It's like rocket fuel. And that's true of any organization. Anybody coach in here? Any coaches? Anybody coach? Okay, a couple hands. Good. So even in the midst of coaching, or maybe you're, you, you own your own business, you're the head of a team, whatever it is, respect is a huge deal. I know when I coached, when I was coaching water polo specifically, that respect was a huge deal. And if I had people who weren't respecting me, if I had kids or high school students or athletes who weren't respecting me, it made life so much harder in the midst of the practice time. It made life so much harder in the midst of that game. Respect is like rocket fuel. If a husband doesn't sense that he has respect from his wife, ladies, your husband will lose motivation to lead. It's like rocket fuel for leadership. He'll fade into the background. And then if he starts fading into the background and you start picking up all of that leadership responsibility, your husband will be glad to let you have it. Right? For any of you who, who have ever had a job who you're like, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. And you just kind of stop doing it. But it has to be done. And so someone fills that role for you. And you're like, that's great. You can handle that from now on. I didn't want it in the first place anyway, because that's a really big calling that I have to do. It's the same thing for husbands and wives. He'll fade into the background. But if you will respect him and encourage him and inspire him and motivate him, he will pick up that God-given role and love and lead in the way that God has called him to love and lead. Now, ladies, hear me. I'm not saying that you are the one responsible for your husband leading because he has to put on his big boy pants and do it. But ultimately, you have a role in his leadership as well. You are side by side with him as his helper, as he leads. So what does this all mean? Husbands, don't stop leading, but turn your leading into serving. Okay, husbands, don't stop leading, but turn your leading into serving. The responsibility of leadership is given not to puff yourself up, but to build your family up. Okay, you're not writing CEO, like dad, comma, CEO. That's not what you're doing. You want to do your best to elevate everybody. Wives, don't follow your husband into sin. So you, should you respect him? Should you let him lead your family? Absolutely. But you should not follow your husband into sin. You cannot do that and honor Christ. Submission doesn't mean surrendering thought. It doesn't mean you don't have input on decisions or influence on, on your husband. It doesn't come from ignorance. Submission doesn't come from incompetence. It comes from what is fitting and appropriate in God's created order. So recognize that as you are submissive to your husband, as you submit to your husband, that does not mean that you fail to submit to God first. 
even if you're here today and you have this whole marriage thing figured out, I know some of you guys have been married a lot longer than even I've been alive. More power to you. Like, I wish that I could have sat down and talked with you before I delivered this message today. But, but maybe you have this whole marriage thing figured out. We still need to recognize that we all still have a job to do even outside of marriage. So even as those of you, I know there's singles in the room and a family series is never easy for people who are single. You still have a role in this whole thing. You still have to understand what, what Paul is trying to express in the midst of this whole thing. Because this entire passage is a metaphor for Christ and the church. And in the same way that Christ loved the church, we should love others. Which leads us to our last point, which is everyone love others because you love Jesus. Everyone, let's go with that one. Everyone respect others because you love Jesus and they don't yet know him. I reworked it. I'll make it fit. What this should do is put into perspective what Christ has done for the church. And because of the realization of Christ's sacrifice, we should be willing to talk to others about him as well. That's what, this, that's what this framing should do. A few weeks ago, I asked you to begin writing down your oikos, right? For those of you who are here, you remember that? The 8 to 15 people that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed in your life to make an impact for the kingdom of God. I asked you to do that. And not only did I ask you to write down that oikos, I asked you to commit to praying for every single person on that list every day. And I know some of you have done it because you've bragged to me about it, which is great. Hey, pastor, look what I got. Cool, man. (laughs) Wasn't show and tell. Um, But I ask you to do that. And in the midst of this whole thing, recognizing that, that Christ sacrificed himself so we could be reconciled to God, there are people in your world that you need to respect enough, that you need to love enough to communicate that to. Those people you should have already written down and been praying for. I actually had a couple people come up to me and tell me, it's crazy. It, it, it works. It's just, it wasn't even hard. I was talking with my neighbor the other day and we just started talking about God. And every conversation we've had since then was about God. And it was only because I started praying for him and thinking about him and thinking about the impact that I need to make on his life. Like, yeah, it's not, it's not rocket science here. It's a lifestyle that we choose to lead because of the fact that Christ willingly submitted himself to the Father, reconciled us to him, and as we recognize that good news, as we have accepted that good news, it's just as important for us to pass it along to others. And so as we leave here today, a couple things. Wives, you know your marching orders. Respect your husbands, but not into sin. Husbands, love your wives... And lead them well. Put on your big boy pants and start leading in the way that the Bible tells you to lead. And everybody, we need to be concerned enough about the people that God has already placed in our life to be able to tell them about Jesus. Uh, As we close today, I want you to know that, that like I said at the beginning of service, not everybody has this figured out. Most families aren't the original design that God had created at the outset. Because of sin, there's a distortion. We talked through all of that. If you want to talk through stuff that's going on in your family, if you just want to tell me how great your family is and show me your grandkids' pictures, fantastic. 
But myself and Jeff, we're going to be up at the front of the stage at the end of service, and uh, we would love to have a conversation with you and, and help, help you maybe steer your family closer to Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and we'll get you guys out of here. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and a challenging word at that, a word that just kind of makes us realize that your initial design, your original intention for the family has just been lost and distorted and messed up. And so we even have a hard time reading words like submit because we have distorted because sin has distorted them. Our culture and the understanding of equality has been distorted. And so father, I pray that for the husbands in here and the future husbands in here, that those men would begin to lead well, that they would recognize that leadership comes from an act of service to the people in their family. And for the wives in here, I pray that they would respect their husbands well and encourage them and love them as they do their best to lead their family. And Father, for all of us in here, I pray that we would recognize that there is a mission field in every single one of our lives. There are people who don't yet know you, don't let yet know that your son was submissive to you on the cross, willingly submitted himself to go to the cross for us to be able to follow you forever. And so if there are even people in this room who don't yet know that, who haven't yet accepted that fact, I pray that one, that A, they would admit that they're a sinner in need of a savior. God, that they would just... Say right now, Father, I I am a sinner in need of a Savior. B, they would believe that you sent your Son, that he willingly submitted himself to you to die on a cross so we could forever be reconciled to you, so we could forever be glorified in you and see that we would choose to follow him every single day of our lives. Father, we're so thankful for him and we're thankful for your design for marriage as much as it is distorted now. Father, I pray we would do our best to make it look like your initial design. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. You have a good week. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.